1: This is Community Update on Sports Radio 960 AM, WSBT. Good morning, I'm John Hoffman. Flu season is here, and while many people are getting vaccinated, certain groups, not as much. The Centers for Disease Control is reporting minority groups are more likely to be hospitalized from the flu.
2: The CDC is concerned lower vaccination rates amongst minority groups are leading to hospital stays, and the CDC says this can likely be avoided. A new report from the CDC says last flu season saw consistently lower vaccination rates among minorities. 42% of black adults, 38% of Hispanic adults, and 41% of American Indian and Alaska Native adults were vaccinated against the flu. These
3: long-standing inequities have contributed
4: to putting these groups at higher risk of hospitalization when they do get sick with flu. We are releasing this vital science report now at a time of year when flu activity typically begins to rise.
2: Among African-American adults, there's an 80% higher chance of being hospitalized due to the flu compared to white adults, as well as 30% for American Indians and Alaska Natives, with 20% for Hispanics. There are many reasons for disparities in vaccine uptake, including lack of
4: access to health care and insurance, missed opportunities to vaccinate, and misinformation
2: and distrust. Area health departments saw a similar situation when the COVID-19 vaccines rolled out. The Elkhart County Health Department said they saw a lot of hesitancy from those of Hispanic descent. Some claim the after effects keep them from the vaccine, but the CDC warns that can be counterproductive.
4: People do have concerns about feeling crummy after a vaccination, but I point out to them that this is very minor and doesn't happen
2: often, and you're going to feel a lot more crummy if you do get the flu. While the last two flu seasons haven't been as severe, the CDC cautions this fall and winter may not be the same. We've had two
4: mild flu seasons and this means we might be ripe for a severe season because people are not um, you know, taking all the measures they took for COVID, which also had an impact on flu like masking and
2: social distancing. CDC is recommending that everybody over the
1: age of six months gets vaccinated against the flu. WSBT 22's Leo Goldman reporting. Mullen Automotive announced its acquisition of electric last-mile solutions on Wednesday. That includes the Mishawaka plant and the former AM General facility. Mullen executives say they plan to get into the consumer electric vehicle market.
5: They plan to build their Mullen 5 electric vehicle as well as other commercial vehicles. And while some are uncertain of the company's future, a Mullen vice president says this will be a good move for them. Lots of excitement from Mullen Automotive executives after acquiring electric last-mile solutions. Elms made electric delivery trucks here, but not for long.
0: I really think that we hit um, a, a, a gold mine here uh, with with and a home run with with the decision to do this
5: with the acquisition of elms it'll allow mullen the capability to produce up to 50,000 vehicles per year according to global manufacturing senior vice president john taylor it'll save the company time and money
0: our original plan to build the the mullen five uh was going to be several hundred million dollars we're able to save considerably by getting the mishawaka facility
5: Mullen's stock went up more than 50% Wednesday following the announcement, although still under a dollar. A University of Michigan professor says Mullen's past is rocky and its future is unclear.
1: There is at least a possible upside. Is it probable? I doubt it. I think it's more likely that Mullen,
6: with all of these acquisitions, ends up collapsing.
5: However, Taylor, who previously worked for Tesla, believes in their mission and says they hope to begin production in 2024.
0: I've seen the success and what it takes to be successful. We have a very driven team, and we're adding to that team almost daily to get
1: better at what we're, at what we're about to do here.
5: By 2026, Taylor believes the company should have roughly 1,100 employees, with six or 700 of them here in Mishawaka.
1: WSBT 22's Erica Finke reporting. New numbers show a mixed picture when it comes to bullying in our schools. Indiana and Michigan schools are required to report the number of bullying incidents in schools each year. The data for the 2021-22 school year is now available.
4: It's a mixed picture because while statewide bullying is down in both Indiana and Michigan, some schools and communities continue to struggle. Here's what the data shows. Let's look at total statewide numbers. This is a graph by the Indiana Department of Education. You can see there were 5,103 total reported incidents of bullying during the 2021 to 2022 school year. The previous two years, kids were doing some form of virtual learning, so bullying reports and incidents dropped. But as you can see, bullying this school year in Indiana is slightly lower than the pre-pandemic year of 2018 to 2019. And in Michigan, it's a similar story. According to data from the Center for Educational Performance and Information, you can see there were 14,196 incidents of student bullying reported in Michigan schools through the school year 2018 to 2019. Now, if you pull up the most recent data, which is from the last school year, 2021 to 2022, you can see 13,455 incidents of student bullying in Michigan schools. So there is that decline. So it seems bullying might have slightly declined, but what does that mean? You
3: definitely need to make sure that they are advocating for themselves with the adults. This is Nicole Campbell.
4: She's a trauma and resiliency specialist for Michigan Connections Academy. It's a public online school.
3: So that's one thing that we really work hard at Michigan Connections is working on what's called social emotional learning which is teaching students how to recognize their feelings, how to express them, how to manage them.
4: Camp Bell works with both kids who have experienced bullying and kids who might find themselves accused of being a bully. Prior to this year, Camp Bell worked in a traditional brick-and-mortar school for more than a decade. How prevalent
3: is bullying in schools? I don't think it happens as often as everyone thinks. I think often it's just students that are being mean that need to learn how to communicate effectively with each other. It's
4: also important to note that not every conflict at school is bullying. It's why both Indiana and Michigan have defined bullying in state law. In Indiana, the law specifies that bullying is repeated acts against someone to hurt and create a hostile school environment. Those repeated acts could be verbal, physical, written, or a combination. And that includes what happens online. In Michigan, bullying can be a written, verbal, or physical act OR ANY ELECTRONIC COMMUNICATION THAT'S INTENDED TO HARM OR CAUSE EMOTIONAL DISTRESS TO ONE OR MORE STUDENTS, EITHER DIRECTLY OR INDIRECTLY. (laughs) SCHOOLS IN BOTH STATES SET THEIR OWN POLICIES REGARDING HOW REPORTS ARE INVESTIGATED, BUT THEY USE THEIR OWN STATE'S DEFINITION TO DETERMINE WHAT BULLYING IS AND WHAT IT IS NOT.
3: A LOT OF STUDENTS WITH BULLYING DO HAVE A HISTORY OF TRAUMA, AND THAT'S SOMETHING WE NEED TO REMEMBER. Um, when working with students who we are seeing that behavior over and over again to look and see what are they trying to communicate with us.
4: It's why Campbell says it can be frustrating for parents of kids who are being bullied at school and it may seem like the school isn't
3: doing enough. It's just like anything else in school, math, language arts. It is not something that can be taught in a day. Um, It sometimes takes years. And if the student is experiencing trauma or bullying by someone at home, it could take even longer.
4: What can I as a parent be doing to help my kid not be bullied, to help them uh, feel more confident?
3: We also talk to our students a lot about being upstanders and allies, which means not just speaking up to the bully, but also supporting the person who may be being bullied and have them feel like they have someone in their corner. We pulled the data on
4: bullying reports in our local area schools. You can see of all the school districts, South Bend Community School Corporation has by far the largest number of reported bullying incidents in the area. Now, they're also by far the largest school district in our area.
1: WSBT 22's Kristen Bean reporting. The city of South Bend is looking at options for a historic downtown landmark. The Lafayette building was known as the Dean Building when it first opened in 1901. The city issued a request for proposals to find a developer to buy and rehab the building and held an open house Tuesday for anyone interested. Joseph Molnar with South Bend Community Investment is our
6: guide. So this is the Lafayette building. Uh, this is one of the very first uh, office buildings uh, constructed in the city of South Bend. Uh, it was built in 1901. This is, for one, it's a historic landmark and it's a treasure to the city of South Bend. It's probably one of the most unique uh, interior spaces that the city has. Uh, It was an active building for about 110 years. This is probably the largest atrium in the city of South Bend. I'm pretty certain about that. It's definitely the oldest. Um, it's pretty unique you don't see a building built like this anymore they built it this way so to ha- help lighten you know at that time electricity modern lighting was very rudimentary so they would have done this to help light the interior of the space so the office workers could see what they were doing so we, we don't have too many of these gems left the city unfortunately uh, has seen a lot of our architectural you know uh, charm and, and gems be torn down over the last 50 60 years so we're glad the city stepped in to, to save this one. I wanted to see activated. I just want to see it used and restored uh, to its former glory. Uh, It could be an office, it could be apartment buildings, uh, there's talk of a hotel possibly. Uh, The city's open on the use front. We just really want to see a developer who's going to care for the building and do it right and and put put some money in to make it stable again.
1: The city acquired the Lafayette building in 2018 and has invested $750,000 in repairs and structural upgrades. WSBT 22 photojournalist Ian Sindel reported this story. It's approaching a month since Hurricane Ian made landfall in Florida. The Category 4 storm has left behind plenty of destruction. Homeowners are still picking up the pieces. The local Red Cross branch is in Florida to help.
2: Homeowners in Hurricane Ian's path are still looking to pick up the pieces. The local Red Cross branch jetting down to Florida to try and help. Even though Hurricane Ian first hit Florida back on September 28th, its impact is still being felt. Kristen Marlowe, executive director of the Northern Indiana Red Cross, says the devastation is widespread.
7: We've got Lee County, which is over in the Fort Myers area, um, really heavily impacted. Here over in central Florida, we've got um, a lot of activity in Orange County, Seminole County, Osceola County, Volusia County. So there's just pockets all over the state of Florida where folks are impacted.
2: Marlo and several other volunteers from northern Indiana counties have been working for the last couple weeks. She says she's seen plenty of people who still don't know what they'll be coming back to when they eventually return home.
7: Folks here are still displaced and don't even know what the damage is in a lot of areas. So I know we're not talking about a lot of the extensive damage anymore because the hurricane came and went. Um, but please know that there's neighborhoods like the one behind me um, where folks don't even know what they've lost yet.
2: No matter which areas they're in, volunteers are doing whatever they can to make sure basic necessities are met.
7: We've got folks in shelters um, that are serving and supporting people um, in their housing needs. We've got folks on IRVs, which are those emergency response vehicles. Um, the IRV out of this Northwest chapter is actually here. Um, we, I actually met up with those folks. They are feeding in um, outside of Orlando. In some of the hardest hit areas.
2: While many are likely thinking of sending things to those affected, Marlo says right now that may be counterproductive. The most beneficial is money.
7: I know a lot of folks love to send stuff because as we're listening to this, we are cooking in our kitchen and we've got all of our utensils and our pots and pans and we're putting on clean clothes. Uh, most of the folks in the community, is like the one that's behind me, Um, don't need stuff right now. They don't have a place to put new clothes or housewares or anything else.
2: Marlow says while there are only 33 people from Indiana Red Cross in Florida right now, they're spread out and helping all over the state.
1: WSBT 22's Leo Goldman reporting. Harvest is underway for farmers all across Michiana. However, it has not been an easy season.
8: Back in May, David Schrock had to wait to put seed into the ground because of weather. Fast forward five months, and the weather is once again causing problems when it comes to harvest. This year has been a hectic one for farmers. Planting was delayed because it was too wet. And once the seed went into the ground, it got dry fast. It also got hot, which is tough on corn. Things leveled out eventually. And then September brought cooler weather, which delays the harvest.
2: We normally start to harvest about September 15th to the 20th. This year we did not start till I think it was the 4th of October.
8: David Schrock is part of a family of farmers. This year's crop has been respectable despite the lack of cooperation from Mother Nature.
2: But overall the crop is good, very good. It's going to be above average. Every field that we've harvested so far is above our five-year average.
8: Schrock only saw a few flurries this week on his farm outside of Bremen. The rest of the moisture was rain. 20 minutes to the east, however, more snow fell. That will delay harvesting a little bit, or even worse, kill some of the crop if the snow weighs too heavy on it.
2: They won't stand back up because for all practical purposes, those plants are now dead. They're senesced and they're, they're, they're done.
8: On Schrock's farm, around 30% of the harvest is complete for both corn and soybeans. But with well over 5,000 total acres of crops, there is still a long way to go. At this point, Schrock hopes for a stretch of dry weather so the harvest can continue. Along with that, the outlook for profit is looking good.
2: We will do well this year financially because the commodity markets are fairly high, probably the highest that they've been for quite a few years.
8: Schrock says this year is not a do-or-die year. He's had some bumps in the road, but overall, he's quite happy with this year's harvest.
1: WSBT 22's Lynette Grant reporting. Views and opinions expressed are those of the individual speaking and do not necessarily reflect the views of WSBT Radio, its staff, or management. Join us next week for Community Update on Sports Radio 960 AM, WSBT.